Hey everyone, my name is Josh Scroggins, a pastor of New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. First Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the way he looks on the outside or how tall he is because I have not chosen him. Lord does not look at the things man looks at. A man looks on the outside of a person, but the Lord looks at the heart. Uh, if you wanted to design somebody, say you were you were uh, uh, going to create a person and this person was going to be the perfect person for a job, let's say president of the United States. What would that person look like? What traits would you look for most? Why would you say those are the most important traits? Maybe if you were to design a person that was uh, going to do what you are called to do, how would you make them? What would they look like? What strengths would they have? What talents would they have? What personality would you give them? If you were to design the perfect parent for your children, what would they be like? What would they be able to do? What traits would they have? And then here's the big question. Are you that person? This is the dilemma that uh, the prophet Samuel was running into when he was going to select a king or anoint a king for Israel. They had just had a king named King Saul. And King Saul was everything that a human being would want for their king to be. He was tall. He was good looking. Right. He uh, he seemed like he was humble, even though we find out later it was superficial. He um, he had the, the traits that people would look for. He seemed like he was he was strong. The problem is that King Saul had disobeyed God and had lost his right to have his son take over the throne, as was normally the case in ancient kingdoms. God was then going to appoint another king. And when the prophet Samuel went to look for the next king of Israel, God sent him to the home of a man named Jesse. And Jesse is located in a little town called Bethlehem. And we say town, really town is is uh, is being very generous to the little village, uh, the little neighborhood of Bethlehem. It was very, very tiny. There's not something you would be looking for for uh, the next king. And in fact, what we see is this contrast between David and Saul of what would be man's choice, how man would design a king, which would have been King Saul, and that did not work out well for them. And the other one is, is how God would choose a king. What is it that God finds important? And so as we, uh, as we go into this, this uh, passage today, as we look at this character of David, what I want to do today is, is just take a look at what it was that Samuel thought was important. And then what God thought was important. Because they're very different. So Samuel goes to the home of Jesse, and, and Jesse's in Bethlehem. He's not an otherwise important man. He has several sons. He's got some sheep. He's got a, a son named David that took care of the sheep. And when Samuel arrived, Jesse lines up all of his sons. Well, 
almost all of his sons, for Samuel to take a look at. Samuel knocks on his door. I can only imagine uh, what must have been going on in that house when they looked out the door and they saw that it was the prophet of Israel outside of their home in some little backwater village named Bethlehem. And yet, there he is. So they let him in. Of course, they let him in. They didn't tell him to stay outside. They let him in. And then he tells Jesse, I'm here to anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel. Now, this is a big, big deal. This is super important. This is a super heavy moment here. Um, I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be the next king. And so Jesse gets his sons. He lines them up and uh, allows Samuel to go from one to the next. He gets to the first son named Eliab. And when he arrives in front of Eliab, he sees that Eliab is tall. He's good looking. He's the oldest, right? We, we all know that the oldest is the best. <laughs> I'm just saying that because I'm the oldest. But the, uh, the oldest, uh, it, it has, has some, some leadership traits, typically. He sees a guy that looks strong. He looks tall. He looks like he's got the part. He apparently has uh, an air about him, maybe some features even that resembled what he saw in Saul. But this time around, God is not going to choose Israel's king based on what people would be looking for. No, this time the person anointed king is not the one with the traits human beings find important. It's the kind of king, because that king had gotten them in a mess. It's the, the kind of king this time that has the traits God would consider important. And ultimately, this does result in arguably the greatest king that Israel had ever had. A man that the Bible tells us was after God's own heart. So Samuel, in front of Eliab, looking at him, thinks that he has found the next king. Surely this must be him. But God reminds him that he does not call people based on the things that we think are important. Because the things that this world thinks are important are based on the outside, and God calls based on the heart. What's interesting is that and I, and I love this little passage because uh, Samuel is standing in front of Eliab and God says, no, this isn't it. And so he moves to the next son and God says, no, that's not him. And he moves to the next and God says, no, that's not him. And he continues to move down the line. What is interesting is uh, uh, trying to think for a, a moment what must be going through the mind of Samuel when he gets to the end of the line and God says, that's not him. And Samuel realizes we're out of sons. Surely I misheard God somewhere along the lines. Maybe I was moving too quickly. Um, but he asked Jesse, hey, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, oh, yeah, we've got one. I didn't bother bringing him in because it couldn't have been him. And Samuel says, no, go send for him. And uh, nobody gets to sit down until he gets here. We're all going to stand and wait. So they stand, they wait for David. David shows up and is anointed um, the next king. So what was it that was that was about David's heart that made him so special? What was it about David's heart that separated him from the rest of his brothers and even the rest of the people in the nation? And and really, I could talk about David all day, and, and many sermons, many books have been written on him. Uh, but rather than doing that, I, I simply want to highlight five traits that position David to receive the call of God on his life. In this, this series of podcasts we are doing, uh, episodes called called out. We've been looking at the um, the call of God in our lives and how God calls us into something bigger than we are. 
And what I want to talk about today is how do we position ourselves to receive that call? How do we position ourselves to be in a place where we are ready for the call of God when it comes? Now, I want to focus in on on five traits about David's heart that prepared him for that. And if you want to be positioned for the call of God on your life, then you also will need these five traits. And um, for those who are, are taking notes, you're going to notice that the five traits I've got will spell out a word. All right. So um, the very first trait is humility. David was anointed to be the king of Israel, and yet he continued to serve his father as a lowly shepherd. He was humble. He had a heart about him that was not full of pride. He, he had humility. I mean, to think about the fact that he was anointed as the next king of Israel and he continued to serve as a shepherd says a lot. He also went and served Saul as a musician. Even when Saul tried to kill him, David refused to harm him. And after cutting off a piece of Saul's cloak, David humbly repented of it. There's another scene later on as as David is king now, he has committed adultery with Bathsheba he has, he has committed a grave sin, and the prophet Nathan arrives to speak to him and tells him a parable. And then at the end of the parable, after David is upset at this person in the parable who, who had stolen the, the sheep, he, he says, this guy has to be killed. And Nathan says, you're that man. You took someone else's wife. You are in sin and you need to repent. Now, a lot of ancient kings, full of pride, the way they would have responded to that is by having the prophet executed, or at least having them thrown out. But that is not what David did. David humbled himself and repented. See, God will not call the proud because the proud believe they do not need him. So instead of, of pride, we need humility. If you want to be positioned for God's best, God's call into your purpose, then you must have a humble spirit. You cannot be of the mindset that you do not need God. God does not call the proud. He uses the proud, but he does not call the proud. What's the difference? Well, God used Pharaoh. God called David. God works through those who are willing to trust him along the process. See, humility comes as a result of honesty. If you're dealing with pride, if you're trying to, to get to a place you think, I don't have that humility, first of all, if you're able to admit that, um, you probably don't have a humility problem. But if you're struggling with pride, if you want to find, how do I position myself more with a humble attitude? Let me just say this. Humility comes as a result of honesty. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with God about who we are, about our sins, about our faults, about our shortcomings, the only possible outcome is humility. If a person lacks humility, they lack honesty. James 4, 6 to 10 says this, he gives us more loving favor. For the holy writings say God works against the proud, but gives long uh, loving favor to those who have no pride. So give yourselves to God. Stand against the devil. He'll run away from you. Come close to God. He'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Clean up your heart, you who want to follow the sinful ways of the world and God at the same time. Be sorry for your sins. Cry because of them. Be sad and do not laugh. 
Let your joy be turned to sorrow. Let yourself be brought low before the Lord. And then he will lift you up and help you. We are told here in James that we must be honest about our sins. We must be honest about our faults. We must be honest about the fact that we have failed. And allow those failures, allow those sins, allow those shortcomings to affect us, to make us regret and to make us sad and to make us uh, be sorrowful of the fact that we have used our free will to betray the God who gave it to us. We must be sad and repentant of that. And when we are, when we get to that place, we will find ourselves with a heart that has been humbled. And it is then that God will lift us up and help us. God works against the proud, but he gives loving favor to those with no pride. So humility was the first trait that David had. The second was endurance. Take a look at what God says about David's heart. In, in 1 Kings, we find a series of, of uh, statements about David. I want to read you three of them. The first is for, from uh, 1 Kings 11, 4. It says, It came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after to uh, other gods. And here's what it says. His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Perfect. His heart was perfect. David's heart was perfect. That's really interesting. It was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Then in 1 Kings 14, 8, it says, Rent to the kingdom away from the house of David, gave it to thee, yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, who followed me with all his heart to do which was right in mine eyes. In other words, now we're seeing him say that, that David kept God's commandments, and followed God with all of his heart. That's interesting. And then in uh, 1 Kings 15, 3, we see again, he walked in all the sins of his fathers, which had not been done before him, which had been done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father. So according to God, David's heart was perfect. David's heart kept God's commandments followed God with everything that was in his heart. Now, how is that possible? Pastor, didn't, didn't David commit adultery? Didn't David have Uriah killed? Didn't David take a census against God's will and bring judgment on the entire nation because of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely he did. What that tells me is, is not that God is lying here. What that tells me is that when we repent, God truly does forgive and wipe away our sins. He does not hold it against us. That's a big statement. David repented. When he sinned, he repented. He did not continue. He did not it is not about it is not about how many times he was knocked down. What made David's heart perfect with the Lord was not that he didn't sin, it was that he never gave up. It was that he never quit. He continued to chase after God. He continued to repent and get up. He continued to pursue God with everything he had. In other words, it's not that David didn't get knocked down, it's that he got back up again. Proverbs 24:16 says a righteous person falls 7 times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in the time of disaster. A righteous person still falls. What makes the difference between a righteous and a wicked person is not that one falls and one does not. It's that one rises again and one does not. 
And David's heart had endurance. So he had humility and he had endurance. The third thing that that um, that David had was audacity. He had audacity. What does audacity mean? It means to be bold and it means to be daring. Clearly, David shows this when he arrives at the battle scene and there is a massive giant on the on the field named Goliath of Gath. And David, as a young man, as a child, challenges him to mortal combat, right? To to one-on-one combat, to champion single combat. David goes out there and fights him. David shows courage when he goes to war. In fact, he showed so much courage that people actually had a chant, a song that they used to sing about David. It would drive Saul crazy. It would say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. There's a time where God's people need to be bold and to be daring. There's a time where we have to stop talking and take action. There comes a time where Christians need to go to spiritual warfare on our knees before the Father, to pray with authority, to bind wickedness around us, to take power from the enemy, to speak up in public and declare the truth. When prayer was taken out of schools, Christians should have been bolder. When Ten Commandments were removed from courthouses, Christians should have been bolder. When abortion was made the law of the land, and now we have a million babies a year aborted and and executed in the womb, Christians need to be bolder, should have been bolder. When racism was commonplace and people were being treated as less than human, segregation happened and slavery was gone, Christians should have been bolder. See, God is longing for people who are willing to stand in the gap for their kids, their families, their friends, their people. To call out with boldness upon the name of the Lord and take authority that Jesus left us with. This nation has been on this downhill slide for a long time, and it's because Christians have not used the authority God gave us. But that is coming to an end. The sleeping giant called the church has been waking up. God's people are finding their voice again. God is starting to move in them again. Our services have certainly shown that, and, and God has clearly been moving there. And, and, and I'm seeing it, and I'm hearing it, and, and, and the church is, is waking up and moving. But to be called out simply means this. It means that we have a fire in our bones that will not allow us to be intimidated by the enemy. It means that we put on the full armor of God and we go to battle with him in Jesus' name. When I talk about audacity and I talk about standing up, I'm not talking about political uh, matters. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about righteousness and wickedness. I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about this, this gospel that he has entrusted us with. We need audacity. We need boldness. When you get that fire inside of you, when you find that boldness to act, when you make up your mind that you're going to do what God has called you to do, no matter what, this is when you are positioned for God's purpose. So humility, endurance, audacity. The next trait that David's heart had was reverence. Now, humility is about being honest It's about giving this honest reflection of who we are. Reverence is an honest reflection of who God is. David's life reflected this trait. He wanted to build the temple, but he didn't protest when God said no. He wrote the largest book of the Bible, Psalms, filled with worship. Clearly, David loved 
God. And clearly David honored God. He had a reverence about him. There was a trust that he had. There was this understanding that that God's ways were higher than his ways. That God's thoughts were higher than his thoughts. There was this understanding that God knew what was right, even when David did not understand it. One of the things that has been very interesting um, as a new parent dealing with uh, dealing with a baby, uh, two-month-old baby, as of yesterday, what I've what I've been doing at night has been uh, taking taking turns with my wife. We take shifts so that we can sleep. Um, he's a very very noisy sleeper. Uh, he makes a lot of noise when he sleeps. Uh, most of the time. And my poor wife cannot sleep when he's making noise because she's constantly needing to check to see if he's okay. And so what we've had to do is we've had to move him out of the room, get him out of the bedroom so she can sleep, and then we switch. Um, well, what happens is that many of you should be aware of this, that uh, the, the dad and the mom are equipped a little bit differently when it comes to taking care of a baby, particularly when the baby is hungry. Uh, I'm not equipped the same way that my wife is equipped. And when he starts to scream and he starts to get mad, a lot of times he'll wake up and he's very hungry and he needs food. And so I'll go in. We, we've got a, a bottle um, that's set up with, with some pumped milk and I get the bottle. I put it in the bottle warmer and then I wait. And it takes a little while. It, it takes some time for that bottle to warm up to the temperature it needs to be. Meanwhile, my poor son Asher thinks, I'm going to die. I'm starving. I'm going to die. If I don't get something in me right now, I'm going to die. I'm going to have some problems. Daddy, you don't understand. I'm dying. Um, please, please get something in my tummy. He does not understand that I know he's okay. He does not understand that I am working to get the bottle ready for him. He doesn't understand that, that he's got to wait. He's got to be patient. Because if I gave him the bottle and it was cold, he won't drink it. And if, I, if I've if uh, i uh, overheated the bottle and it needs to cool for a little bit, maybe it's too hot, it'll burn him. He does not understand that, that, that their time is involved in getting that bottle up to the right temperature. And I think so often, um, so, so often that is our relationship with God is is we're wanting God to give us something and we want it right now and we want it the way that we want it and we want it yesterday. Uh, we want it to be done and, and God is looking at us and saying, trust me, you're going to be okay. It's okay. I want to bless you. I have everything you need. I have everything you're desiring. I have everything you want, everything you could possibly uh, need for, for what I'm calling you to. But the thing is, it isn't ready yet. And if I gave it to you right now, you would not like it. And and I think that's the relationship a lot of times that, that we have with, with God is that there is this demanding attitude and kids are very demanding. Uh, you know, he ha he can't talk yet, but I know at some point when he talks, he's going to go through a phase where everything he says, mine, right? Mine, mine, mine. Um, and, and there is this attitude that we have with God that takes that approach a lot of times, but it's not a reverent attitude. And we have to get to a place where we trust that what God is doing is best for us and that he knows best for us, even when we don't understand it. And maybe we think that everything's falling apart. Maybe we think that everything is going wrong. Maybe we think that it's it's an emergency. Maybe we think, no, God, you don't understand how bad it is right now. This has to be done right now. Maybe in just instead of 
putting our focus on what we think has to be done right now. We would put our focus instead on trusting God, on showing reverence to him and trust in him to know that, God, you know what's best for me. Because the thing is that just like with that that bottle, right, or just like when we're waiting for God, let me just say this. If, if you need something and God has not given it to you yet, then it either means that it is not ready or you are not ready. It's one of those two. Now, you can't do anything at all about making sure that it is ready, but what you can do is make sure that you are ready, and that's what reverence does. We have to get to a place where we honor God. Now, here's here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. How could it be possible for God to use a person if that person will not honor him? How can we discover the purpose that God made us for if we don't submit to the God who makes that purpose possible? If you want to be used by God, if you want to live out the purpose you were made for, you have to get to a place where you show reverence towards God. One of the fastest ways that we do that is through worship. It's why at our church we take time every Sunday and we begin with Music. We begin with a time of worship, corporate worship. Worship moves our focus off of ourselves and onto God. It brings with it this awareness of just who God is, how big he is, how awesome he is, how merciful he is, how loving he is, and how much we can trust him even when we don't understand his timing. The last point here is, the last trait here, the last thing that 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 we're going to look at is tenderness. Humility, endurance, audacity, reverence, and tenderness. You put those together, it's going to spell out the word heart. David had a tenderness to his heart that allowed him to show kindness to others. See, normally when a new king would take the throne, the first act of business was to make sure to kill all of the remaining members of the previous king's family. And this was to make sure that there was no one left alive who had a claim to the throne. Because of this danger, though, we see this account recorded in scripture. Saul has died. Jonathan has died. And then in 2 Samuel 4, 4, it says, when Saul's son, Jonathan, who had a son who could not walk because of his feet. He was five years old when news of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. In other words, they had just died. The nurse of Jonathan's son picked him up and ran. In her hurry to get away, she fell and hurt his feet so that he could not walk. His name was Mephibosheth. So when David became king, he did the opposite of the typical trend. Rather than seeking out to kill all of Saul's descendants, David instead chose to give one of them a new life. 2 Samuel 9.1, David says, Is there anyone left in the family of Saul to whom I can show kindness because of Jonathan? See, this, this man, that he, this man, Mephibosheth, was the grandson of a king who had tried to murder David. And yet, he was also the son of David's best friend. Mephibosheth in uh, 2 Samuel 9, 6 to 10, it says, The son of Saul's son, Jonathan, came to David and fell on his face to the ground in respect. David said, 
<clears throat> Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. David said to him, don't be afraid. I will be sure to show kindness to you because of your father, Jonathan. I'll return to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you'll eat at my table always. Again, Mephibosheth put his face to the ground and said, who am I? Why should you care for a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul, uh, Saul's servant, Ziba, and said to him, I've given your owner's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons, your servants, will grow food on the land for him. You'll bring food so your owner's grandson may eat. But Mephibosheth, your owner's grandson, will always eat at my table. See, the heart of David was tender when it came to the less fortunate. He was generous to give to those who he had an opportunity to bless. It was this tenderness about him that I think really was kind of the 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 uh, the last piece of the puzzle. Because when you look at somebody who is a man after God's own heart, if they don't have this attribute, they cannot be a man after God's own heart because God is love. And if, if you've got somebody who refuses to show love to others, who refuses to show kindness and compassion and mercy and grace, how in the world could they be somebody that follows the heart of a God who shows passion and love and mercy and grace. David helped the less fortunate, even at great expense to himself, even at risk to himself. But the fact is that it is the tenderness of our hearts that will position us for God's call in our lives. I want to just uh, give you an analogy to finish this up with here. Um, People often go times sometimes to the podiatrist because they need to have calluses cut off where the skin has gotten really hard. Now, it isn't that they don't have soft skin. They do. It's just that it's been covered over for so long they can't feel it anymore. When you and I have gone extended time away from God, a callus can grow so that you don't feel the desire to be close to God, to be used by him. It's not that the desire isn't there. It's that we can't feel the desire anymore. We have within us this heart that God can use for his purposes. And I know because God created that heart within us. But in order to make sure that our heart is usable, we need to remove the calluses so that we can do those five things that are present. We must be humble, humbling ourselves before God and being honest about our need for him. We must determine within ourselves that we will not quit. We won't let go. We must have endurance. We must have audacity, the courage to make ourselves vulnerable before God and to trust him when he says to do something, to pray with authority, to take this, this world back for the kingdom of God with authority and power and boldness. We must be reverent when we come to God coming before him with honor and worship and submitting to his will for our lives. And finally, we must have a heart that is tender before God and others that shows God's love to people, that is generous to the brokenhearted, that helps those who are hurting and, and, and needy. Are you missing any of these in your life? Would God call you a person after his own heart? It's time to make sure that those calluses are gone so that your heart can be sensitive enough to feel when God moves when that time comes. 
I encourage you, I implore you, examine your heart before God today. Allow him to point out areas that that are missing. If you're missing any of these traits, because God wants to use you. He has a call for you that is so big, so amazing, so incredible. He wants to use you to do incredible things. You have to be ready. So take this week and examine your heart and check. Make sure you're good. And if not, get right with God because God is about to call you into something incredible. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.